Welcome to Unconditional Love Fellowship with Bishop Malcolm Smith. This is webinar episode number 99, recorded May 28, 2013, The Water of Life. The Lord be with you, and it's good to be back again to visit with you this evening. And I want to look at an aspect of our salvation. I say an aspect. There's so many ways of looking at the gospel. It's like a diamond of multi-facets. And Jesus brings up many images of that. And one of them is in John's gospel and chapter 4. And you may remember the story of Jesus sitting on the well while his disciples went to buy food. And as he sits there, this woman from Samaria comes across the desert and there is the encounter at the well. And let's just read a little piece of it. Verse 7 of John chapter 4. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. And then, verse 9, she says to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, asks me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan, a woman? Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Then verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, this created water that is at the bottom of the well, shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. And the uh, word there, never, uh, in the language in which the Bible is written, is, is so emphatic. The only way we could translate it properly is shall never, no, never, no, never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Okay, this is a story, if we read those verses and beyond, this chapter, this event in the life of Jesus is the story, number one, of thirst. That's a major issue in this story, the story of thirst. And then, obviously, it's a story of water. You could almost say two kinds of water, created water, and the water which Jesus calls the water of life, which is not created. It's life beyond what we call life. And so it's the story of thirst, the story of soul-quenching water, which is the water of life. Okay, the first thing that leaps out of this story to me, understanding where it's going, is how Jesus opened the conversation. As the woman comes across the desert and comes to the well and she takes her water pot off her shoulder 
uh, or off her head and, and is preparing to let it down into the depths of the well for water, Jesus interrupts the silence with the phrase, give me to drink. It was asking. Jesus is asking for a drink. There's a couple of unusual things here. The first is just that he's asking because he is a Jew. I think you know that when God became flesh, when he entered into and took to himself our humanity, he took Jewish humanity. Jesus was a Jew. And he's asking of this woman who is of another race. She is Samaritan. And that is bad enough because there was, shall I say, a cold war between the Samaritans and the Jews. It was a mutual hatred. And if these had been two men at the well, there would have been a bloody fight. But being a woman, she did not expect any communication. There would have been that hostile silence because it was obvious. She took one look. She knew that he was a Jew and probably he was wearing his prayer shawl with its tassels hanging down, which would tell her he's a religious Jew, which would add to the fact that how unusual a Jew who is speaking, and not only speaking, but requesting, uh, what, what should I say, he's putting himself at the mercy of the woman and basically saying, I'm thirsty and I can't get water because I have nothing to put in the well, but you do. Would you please give me a drink? That was, that was amazing that a Jew should put it oneself uh, at the mercy of a Samaritan. But because he wore the prayer shawl, because he looked in her eyes as a religious Jew, well, the religious Jews that were personified uh, in the Pharisee, they would not speak to a woman, um, only their own wife, Certainly, they, they would never look at a woman in public. And, and for a woman to be around a religious Jew was most embarrassing. And the religious Jew made a fool of himself, trying not to look at the woman and refusing absolutely to speak to them. And here... She looks, here is a Jew, here, here is a Jew she perceived as a religious Jew, and he's speaking to me, a Samaritan woman. And I mean, add to that, who is she? Uh, well, she, she's, she's the most disrespected woman in the village. No decent Samaritan would actually be seen talking to her certainly talking to her sort of in private at the well. No, no way, not this woman. She's got a reputation in town. She's had five husbands, and the one she's living with isn't her husband. Everybody avoids her like the plague. She was the woman in town that everybody loved to despise. And we don't even know her name. She comes down through the millennia as the woman of Samaria, nameless, unknown, just 
a, a woman washed up on the beach of life. And he's asking of her something that only she could give. And he's asking because he's saying, in effect, I am thirsty. And I am asking you to slake my thirst. Please give me something to drink. That, that's amazing. But, but also, it's amazing in that who Jesus is. And I, I think we've been together long enough. I don't need to labor this point. But Jesus is the mystery of God actually joining himself to us, his creatures, and joining himself to us, becoming one of us, yet never ceasing to be God. God limited to our human limitations. And so when he says that he is thirsty, now, now we're touching something, and certainly as the story unfolds, we know we are touching something that goes much deeper than just a dry tongue. This, through the lips of Jesus, is the expression of the thirst of God. Let that sink very deeply inside of you. This is the thirst of God. And when God has a thirst, then it's a thirst that is beyond our comprehension. It's a thirst that must be satisfied. Have you ever thought of it in those terms that within the heart of God, there is a craving, there is a longing, there is an inner demand that must be satisfied at any cost. God is consumed with desire. Ever thought of God like that? If you haven't, then maybe this is an area of the love of God that you have not realized yet. God is love, and love reaches out and desires. Love, there is a certain must to love for relationship. Love must give itself away. Love must share itself. It must. It must. There is a thirst in the love of God. A thirst and that thirst is the reason Jesus is here. What he said to that woman in the light of the whole chapter, for he's taking thirst to the level of the heart, uh, not just the tongue. And, and therefore, he, he is saying essentially to all of us, think about this, Jesus sits before you and I and says, give me to drink. Jesus thirsts for our response to his love. He thirsts for relationship, union with us. It's incredible. He is here, one of us coming into the heart of us in order to take us home to Father, to Abba. 
That is the thirst of the Father. That is the thirst of the Father revealed and the action of the Son. This is the Holy Spirit reaching to us. God thirsts for us. It's a phrase I've, I've said before. He, he refuses to be God without you and I. He longs for you. He longs for your friendship, your fellowship. He longs for you to realize your son, your daughtership, to, to sit there at the kitchen table of God and call him daddy. It's his longing. God's love, I say, is his thirst. You remember the, there's a psalm in the Old Testament, Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brooks. That's quite an image. Um, I, I don't know where you live, but here in Texas, we have lots of lots of deer. We've got about 200 on our property. They walk the main street at night. They come through our gardens and in the heat, if they've been running and there's no water around, to see those bulging eyes and to see that those panting sides as the deer pants after the water brooks. He goes on, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants after you, longs for you. Now, now, can I say this in the light of what I've just said? We can only pant after God. We can only thirst for God because he first thirsted for us. Our longing, our prayer, our expressed want of God is a response to him who first loved us. First, shall I say, thirsted after us. This is why Jesus, in his parables and elsewhere, called us lost. You've heard the expression, haven't you? Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And then he tells the story, lost sheep, lost coin, lost sons. Uh, it was major in the way he talked about us. And I, I've heard many legalists delightfully use that term to describe people in terms they're lost and they're damned. That's not the meaning of the word, please. Lost. When you lose something, it means that that something was very precious to you. you I've often said you can't lose a big pen. I mean, uh, you, you buy a hundred of them for a dollar. You can't lose them. They just go missing. Forget it. There's plenty more where it came from. But you lose a child. You, you lose something that has tremendous value to you. Then you use the word lose, lost. And when something is lost, you usually engage others to help you. Life sort of stops until you get what has been lost. You find it because it was precious. That's how God described you. He said you, you, you are precious. He thirsts after you. He wants you. He desires you. Nothing will stop him. He will seek and he will save. And in those stories that Jesus told of lost sheep and coins, the word he uses 
when he says he he seeks until he finds it, which means that there is a driving passion that nothing will stop him. And when the lost son comes home, the word the father uses, it is necessary, necessary for us to put out our arms and with delight embrace him. Oh yes, this this is what we're talking about. Uh, Jesus said that we are like a pearl of great price to him and he goes from bazaar to bazaar to find you. Yeah, this this is what it's about. I've heard it said, and maybe you too, that Jesus came. The reason that God became flesh and lived among us and died on the cross was to satisfy justice. Now, maybe you've never heard of that. Don't bother to try and find it out. But there are some people who believe that Jesus came solely that an offended God may now be satisfied by whipping his son until he died. And then he's satisfied. Justice has been... Oh. Please, would you reread the New Testament? Jesus came to satisfy love. He came to satisfy the thirst of the triune God. And here it comes down to one woman. A woman that no one in town would talk to. That's why she came to the well at noontime when no one was there. A woman... One woman, unknown woman, as he treats each one of us as if we are the only one. He sits on the well side of our life and talks to us eye to eye and heart to heart. He says to you, as he says to me, give me to drink. Give me your heart. The heart of God is thirsty for the heart of humans like you. Because the woman is there because she's thirsty. Thirsty for more than she ever knows. Although it wouldn't take much to go under the surface, but she's there because she's thirsty. What the truth is, her inner spirit, her inner person, is craving the water of real life. The water that can only come from God to our innermost person. Created water. Anything created, you know, stuff, created water, created food, whatever. Created, if it's it's created, it can only satisfy our created body and, and satisfy to a certain extent, but that extent is pretty short-lived. You've hardly got over breakfast before you're wanting some more created food for lunch. And in between times, I don't know how much liquid you've consumed and so on. We're always, but within us, there is an inner you. There is there is an inner you that has a thirst, a longing, a hunger indeed. But we're not really speaking about the hunger side of it. But but we have this thirst. And, and we really don't know 
where it comes from. But the fact is, the thirst is there. And, and we, we search everywhere to try to find whatever will slake and satisfy that inside thirst that no created water can. As Jesus said, you, you come to this water, this well again and again and again, and you'll have to keep coming because it will never finally, there'll never be closure. You'll always be wanting especially, and I think this is why it's mentioned so much in Scripture, uh, in, in this idea of water and thirst, because the whole Bible was written basically in the middle of a desert. Uh, the, anyone that you meet in the pages of the Bible understood thirst as probably we never can. Never. We, we always have water pretty well at our fingertips. But these people, and if you keep that in mind as you read through the Old Testament sometimes, thirst governed their life. And it governed their life. Like with this woman, she came to the well, came across the desert to the well every day, twice a day sometimes. So, so you see, if you read of a well or a spring of water in the Bible... To, to these people, and I, it spans the whole Bible, it, to these people, water was life. Can you understand that? I mean, there are no faucets here, you see. No faucets in the Bible. They, they lived around or close to wells or springs of running water. And they were sparse. You did not find them everywhere. They were basically, I say again, living basically in, in a desert or scrubland. There, there was little water. But water meant life. Water meant health. And if you had water, then you could have flocks and herds. And so water meant prosperity. Enough water meant success. Actually, in, in the scripture, you'll find there were wars fought over water and that would be true today in certain parts of the world water is so it's everything i need and yet i can't get a hand on it and when i find a spring of water i'll guard it with my life i mean think about it just think about it we we were born in water okay so that little tiny you, a speck of life in your mother's womb, you were nurtured from your mother in a bag of water. And when we come out of the womb, there begins this water journey because we drink water to cleanse our insides. And... We wash in water to cleanse our outside. And you realize, without going into medical stuff, that you, you are permeated. You, this body, it's saturated in water. Or everything in me works, functions because of water. Without water. I mean, you can go without food for six weeks. I do some of us good. 
the Bible has a number of 40-day fasts, and they weren't supernatural. Um, I, I know a number of people that have been 40 days without food, <clears throat> and but you can only go a few hours without water, and, and you become dehydrated. And once you become dehydrated, essentially your organs begin to wither. And in actual fact, it's the beginning of death. We need water, you say. Water. It's vital to our very existence as created beings. And in, well, take plants without water. Uh, you, I mean, you can do that experiment on your kitchen table. Without water, the plants begin to wither, and then they, they droop. It doesn't take very long. They droop and, and dry out. And if you haven't done something in that process, they're dead. Water. But on the other hand, and you see it much clearer with plants, just add water, pour in the water, and you can watch that water being sucked up by the plant and it comes to life and you see suddenly those dull leaves are now bright and the flowers are water and that with the plant only takes really a few minutes it's amazing but that's what we're talking about here in texas we <clears throat> have a lot of desert and we go for months, months without any rain at all and, and so everything turns brown everything dies we have just uh, an inch or two of rain and it seems the entire countryside springs into green life. So you see, thirst, thirst is something that is vital to our life. Uh, thirst, it's even vital to trees and to plants. And it's used in this chapter, and it's used all through the Bible, incidentally. I'll show you a little bit, I hope, in a minute. But it's, it's an image. It parallels my created need for water. It parallels that with my innermost person that craves and desires the water of God life. And without that water of God, life, I'm dead. And it's an image. And if you read this chapter through many times, you, you will see that Jesus doesn't explain the image. He, he jumps from the water that the woman gets out of the well to the water that he gives, which are two different kinds of water, we know. But what's he doing? And hear me on this. Because whenever this is spoken of in other parts of the scripture, there's no explanation. It just talks about this water that brings us inner life. And it jumps from created water to this water. Why? Because what I'm trying to say, what the Bible is saying concerning this water of life, it would take hours to try and articulate that find the words to appeal to your brain and your logic and so what does God do he speaks to our imagination and through our imagination he speaks and communicates with our heart because quite frankly the, the imagination see this 
with, with something more than your brain, that there is an inside me, an inside you, that is craving a water that is not water, but it is water. It's a water that is, is a living water. It's a water that has in it no death. It, it is a water of life itself. And as I drink it, I am lifed with undying life. I am lifed with what life really is. I am lifed with God's life. That's the image here. Get the image. He said, one sip of the water that I give. It's a water of life. Can, can, you, can you imagine that? Because that's what this is about. It's seeing a picture of drinking what in the imaginary figure is water, but that water is actually imparting to me, my essential me, life that you'll never find on this earth. You see, we, we are created to drink of God's life. That, that's what we're created for. The story of Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man, theologians call it. It's when mankind rejected that. That's essential. They're in, okay, it's another image, another thing for imagination. But in the garden, there was a tree of life. And mankind in Adam and Eve rejected the tree of life, rejected, using this illustration, the water of life and instead took the action to be independent, finding life within themselves, that they should become as God. And so they rejected, that, that's what sin is, it's rejecting the God life that is freely given as part of his freely creating us. He also freely gives the life with which to live. But not only that, that, that that's bad enough. But of course, if, if one rejects life, then there's this awful, I mean, can I, can I describe a thirst of spirit? I know what thirst is when, when, when I, I hardly know what to do with my mouth, when my lips are sticking together, when I am thirsty. And it seems my whole body concentrates to tell me the pain of thirst. I know that, that's physical. But what, what, to have my inner person screaming out with thirst... And so what mankind does in his foolish, sinful, rebellious independence, not only does he reject the source, the only source of the only life, but he makes substitutes. And of course, any substitute has to be made of the stuff of earth, created stuff, which, of course, the created stuff can never get to my inner person. And um, Jeremiah said it very, very plainly. Um, he said, my people have committed two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. 
and number two, to carve for themselves cisterns or wells, but they're broken cisterns that cannot hold any water. You see what I'm saying? It's not, not only rejecting the fountain of life, but trying to substitute that with something you do with your own hands within the world of the created. And of course, that never satisfies, never satisfies. So whatever we try to make as a substitute, we come back again and again and again. Because it doesn't satisfy. We always think, isn't it daft? Always we think, next time, ne- next time will be it. Next time. Or sometimes we, we swap out whatever we think will, will satisfy. Uh, and we say, well, this will do it. This will do it. This, this craving, uh, this thirst within drives us, you know. It actually defines our life, what we do. Because most people, like like the ancients that are in the scripture, they built their lives around the well. Yeah, we build our lives around what we think is going to satisfy us. That, that's the picture. I mean, face it, mankind, outside of Christ, mankind is deeply and fundamentally unhappy. And he doesn't know why. And so he's forever looking for it. All our TV commercials are built on this, aren't they? I mean, uh, you've got to have this, you've got to have that. I mean, good grief, you've got a perfectly good car in the garage, but you get 10 commercials battering you one after another that you, you just can't live without another car. That will satisfy you. That will bring life. That will... And so on and so on. You've got to have this food. You've got to have this drink. You get, and so we we are forever. The, the commercials are built on it. Or to put it this way, our thirst is for God water, God life. And what do we do? We drink salt water, which only makes the thirst even worse. Or to put it this way, if you are thirsty naturally, don't drink coffee. Because coffee will further dehydrate you. Are you getting the picture? We, we, we think these things satisfy, but in actual fact, they, they drive us deeper into this, this thirst of death. Now, Jesus describes himself to this woman as possessing life-giving water. It's life water, the water of life. And the word life there is zoe, which is a Greek word meaning essentially life as God knows it. It's the word Jesus always used when he described things like this. He said, I am come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. And the word there is zoe. Uh, When he said, I am the life, you use the word zoe. It's life as God has it, only now communicated to us humans. And so Jesus said, if you knew, if only you knew the gift of God, if only you knew this generous God that he's giving, the water of life, and if you knew who I truly am, uh, the giver, I, 
I am the origin and the source. I am the giver of this water of life. I am the original spring of this water of life. And he said, there's a difference. When you drink of this created stuff, whatever it is that you're trying to slake the thirst of, of your inner person, you'll have to come back and have to come back and over and over again and you'll be thirsty in an hour. Back you come, back you come. But he said, the water that I give, one drink. This is, this is incredible. You, imagination. He said, one drink. Oh, you drink one drink. And he said, that water will become inside of you a well. Actually, the word is so strong. It's artesian well. You know, a, a well that just bursts up under its own energy. Do you remember? Well, maybe not. Uh, I, back in England, when I was a kid, we had wells. Would you believe it? And I had to go out to the well to get water. And, and you had to, we call it priming the pump. Because the water was down there. How do you get it up here? Well, you had to pour in some water and start, and, and you'd prime the pump and you'd, you'd get the water to start coming out. Well, there, that, that's not what Jesus You don't have to prime this pump. He said it's an artesian well. It, it just surges. Uh, it, it, you check all the translations of this. They all attempt to say it somehow. Another one is it gushes. It's a gusher within you. Um, another one is it bubbles up of its own accord and bubbles over. It, it always there, there's this water. You drink the water, and the water itself becomes within you a well of water. But that well is a gushing well that has life within itself. It not only gives life, it is life. Jesus used this imagery, this imagination talk. Um, what was the other one? In John chapter 7, he said, uh, whoever, if any man thirst, there it is again, let him come to me, said Jesus, and drink. And out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Do you remember that one? And that word innermost being, well, I get that's as good as what I've been trying to call it. Uh, the actual word in the Greek there is, is your womb. Out of the womb of your life, out of that space within you where life begins. He said, there shall then flow, you drink, but then that one drink becomes the source of a flow of life. And as I've been saying, the Old Testament is full of this. And, and unquestionably, Jesus was referring to all of these Old Testament scriptures. Isaiah 41, 18. I, God speaking, I will open rivers. Notice that. I will open. They won't just be there, but I will open them. Suddenly they'll be there. Rivers on the bare heights. So that's all you had before, just bare mountaintops. Now suddenly there, there's, there's rivers. And he said, springs in the midst of the valleys. So suddenly... He said, water will spring up. Remember, he's speaking to people that rivers and springs, that was life, that was health, that was prosperity. 
But then he says, I will make the wilderness, the desert, a pool of water and the dry land, fountains of water. Do you get that picture? It fits in with what Jesus is saying. Isaiah 58, 11, he says, The Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. You will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail or do not run out. He says, God is my salvation. I will trust. I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. It's become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. I, I could keep going. The, honestly, it's all over the place in the scripture. Um, and have you ever read Ezekiel? A strange prophet. But in chapter 47, he de- describes this river. A river that comes out of the very presence of God, where heaven touches earth. He said there comes a river. And that river, under the Old Testament imagery, is the river of life. And he says wherever that river went, here comes this gushing river, and it's coming out under the floorboards of the temple, outside, and wherever it touches, life springs under trees and flowers begin to grow. And he said, whenever it touches death, replaces it with life. And it's a river that ever expands and gets deeper and deeper so that humans can jump in and swim. Can you imagine? Well, get it. In the, the, this is the word of God addressing you in pictures. Life that you can swim in. Life that you can float in. Life. Life. Living in life. What a picture. It's beyond thought, I say again. And this is a gift. This is a gift. The generosity of God is that if you knew the gift of God... He thirsts for you and desires to give you this life that will satisfy your thirst and bring you into the family of God satisfying his love thirst. The giver of this gift is Jesus. He says, I I give. But now this is the interesting point. He's the giver. But the actual water of life that he is speaking of this water that when you drink you are actually drinking life that water is the holy spirit note this very carefully jesus is the source the giver but the actual water is the holy spirit I just quoted the verse in John 7, uh, John chapter 7, verse 37, uh, that he says, Come to me and drink, and out of you shall flow rivers of living water. But then the next verse says, This he was speaking of the Holy Spirit, who was not yet given, that awaited the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit... Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is love present with us. The Holy Spirit is love doing 
love, acting. The Holy Spirit is the one who implements in our life all that Jesus is and all that he came to do. So that the presence of the Holy Spirit is the very presence of Jesus in all his life. But it's the Holy Spirit who makes that happen. He actualizes that in our lives. He causes us to realize it. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. There are too many, too many believers, and they know all about Jesus. They know about what I'm talking about. But it seems very unreal in their lives, to the point it's almost irrelevant that the Holy Spirit is the one that doesn't only make this real, but this indeed is life. Life in you. And so Jesus described the same thing, but under other language, he says, I will be in you and you will be in me. And what, what happens? What, what, what does this look like? When the Holy Spirit comes into us, which when we trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in. That, that's all through the New Testament. And of course, the verses, if any man has not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And so the Holy Spirit comes in. He, he's the author of new birth. You're born of the Spirit. And he, he's that river that just moves through our being. This is the supernatural Christian life. This is it. This is it. And, and as he moves, I mean, there's... See, the, the legalistic person says you've got to clean up your life so the Holy Spirit will come because he hates sin. Yes, he does hate sin, but he is the one who comes where sin is and applies all that Jesus did. And in this river of life where I was full of bitterness and unforgiveness and malice and envy and, and anger... And the Holy Spirit came, so gentle is he, never condemns us, but he comes and there's a recreating process that, that happens. And I, I find that the bitterness is giving way. It's the bitterness, it's the, the malice, it's the self for myself that is now drooping and dying. And instead there is the life of love and joy and peace and forgiveness, and, and, and words now come out of my mouth that are indeed full of the river of life. He produces in us righteousness, which is walking in harmony with love. He, he produces in us a peace that doesn't come from this planet. It's a peace that passes human understanding. The peace of God. He gives us a joy that has nothing to do with happenings. So it's not happiness. It's the joy of the Lord, which becomes our supernatural strength. And it's a water, river, spring of life that, that wells within us and, and begins to affect people around us. 
Uh, and that's where we, we, we can bring healing to persons' spirits and minds and emotions, healing to their physical bodies. Please, understand this is not fantasy. This isn't myth. This is the gospel. This, this is what you have believed into when you believed into Jesus. The gift is there. The Spirit comes. The Bible speaks of being filled with the Spirit. And I think that's, that's our trouble. You see, that um, filled with the Spirit. That doesn't mean that we, I heard someone say, I need to be filled because I keep leaking. Oh, my dear. No, filled isn't something that I'm like a pot that God has to keep filling because I somehow lose it. Rather, he dwells within me, and like an artesian well, he gushes his personal life within. Depending on the moment, what do I need in this moment? I need to love the unlovable. I need the peace of God. I need the joy of the Lord. I need to give healing here. And he fills me with himself according to the need of the moment. I need wisdom. I need understanding. I need insight. He fills me from within that is so look if this bible is the truth of god which i believe it is i speak to you believer that in you is that well of the holy spirit who comes to you because jesus has carried you through his death and resurrection the holy spirit dwells in you so as I face life I simply ask which is I, I drink again uh, I, this undying life within me see many people actually are afraid of life I know many churches that are afraid of life if life I mean God life ever came into manifestation in their churches I think they'd flee for their safety um, that the i know many churches that would close their doors immediately if god healed somebody there because now they they say sickness god gives sickness i don't know where that blasphemous lie came from he's life no and when life shows up when when somebody's within our midst who's a broken person and then life comes and people don't know what to do that they're scared of it people would be afraid if they they knew the presence the gentle quiet presence of the holy spirit rising within them and they find themselves loving with God love and they find themselves with God gentle and God kind and God patience. No, it's far easier to talk about Jesus and about a Christianity 2,000 years ago. But to drink of life, that's, people are scared of that. That's why they're scared of the Holy Spirit because he's God with us. He's love now embracing us. And so, such persons quench the spirit notice again um the word used there is sort of a word to do with liquid uh, it, no 
the spirit is there, but we say, no, 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 no. And so we, we go to sing about, talk about, go home with, with knowledge that's totally irrelevant to life because we get back to normal on Monday morning. And of course, as I said, legalism quenches this by saying that you've got to do this and this and this and give up this and give up that and stop this and stop that so that you'll be pure enough for the Holy Spirit to come. He is the water of life. It's the water that does the cleansing, not your stupid willpower. So here we have it. He is. He is, because when he came out of the tomb with a life that cannot die, Jesus is in this moment in your life and my life. He is. And he thirsts for us. He thirsts for you. And my response to his thirst for me, us, the only qualification is, I thirst. He thirsts for me. I thirst to be part of this life, which is the communion, the relationship, the delight that God the Father has in God the Son, in the Holy Spirit. And he says, come into that. Participate in that. I will pour water on him that is thirsty. I will pour floods upon the dry ground. And so the only qualification is thirst. After that, all heaven breaks loose in life. And let me also quickly say this. I do not mean the bells, whistles, lightning flashes and whatever else. No, sometimes the greatest moments of God-love power is in the stillness and the quietness of his changing our lives, renewing us and restoring us. Oh, there's also the amazement when we see his activity. There's also the outflow of love and worship, but the Holy Spirit is the greatest gentleman in the in the universe and beyond all universes. You can trust him. He'll not make a fool of you. People make fools of people. People make fools of themselves, but the Holy Spirit never does. It's safe to say, I, I drink of you, Spirit. I, I take you in this moment. He is, and he's thirsting for you, and I respond. And what is faith? Faith basically is saying that is so. I know that sounds so utterly simple, but it is so. You see, as I look at you tonight, this is so. I, I am looking at persons where all that I'm talking about is so. I know we've been brainwashed that um, you have to pay for it, you know. You get what you pay for. Well, not, not in this world. In this world, all is paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, all is. It's not after you've done this, this, and this, and this. It's not when you do this and that. No, is. I know that's difficult for legalistic people. 
They live in the future because it's always after I do this and when I get that straight and when I get my life together and after I prayed for 10 years. No. Is. 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 And, and maybe faith is expressed in that the simplest word. It's in the Psalms, actually. It's all over the Psalms. So I, I, Psalm 18 does it. Psalm 3 does it. Psalm 23. Psalm 27. The Lord is my, and then fills in the blank. Lord is my shepherd. Lord is my strength. Lord is my salvation. Lord is my light. On and on all. But Lord is my. I I sit here right now. This fullness of life. This artesian well of the Holy Spirit. Life. And I sit here and I realize it. I sit into it. I sink into the reality. He is. That's an act of worship in itself. He is. All has been done. All is accomplished. His thirst for you went to death and resurrection. All is ready. Is. And faith says, my, I dare to trust in God love that said all of this yours. You are an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. This is your inheritance. And I say, amen. Be it unto me according to your word. The Lord is my, my What do I need right now? What is it that only God can do that what I must do so that God does in me, God does through me. Yeah, I live, yet not I. It's Christ who lives in me. And I say again, fill in the blank. You need wisdom. Lord, you are my wisdom. Lord, you are my love for others. Lord, You are my inspiration. You are my light. He is so. I don't have to pay by endless doings and dedications and promises. He is. And by his unlimited grace, he is my. And he is my life with all of its multi-expressions. And you get used to living there. What else can I say? That is my... You are aware of a need, whether it be in personal or in front of you, and you move immediately from sense of need to sense of fullness, life. The is my... I know this upsets religion... Oh, how it upsets religion because it's too quick. Is my faith takes. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the quickness that gets them. They're afraid it will empty their churches if they can't keep beating the people to come forward and make rededications. No, my friend, it would fill your churches. There's so many hungry, thirsty people 
and they feel they can't afford to pay what you're saying the price is. No, there is no price. The price is the blood of Jesus that's done. And the resurrected one stands and says, if you knew the gift, the gift of God, and who it is that says, you would have asked of him and he would have given you. Yeah. In fact, the scripture says that this love, which is life, in 1 Thessalonians 3, I believe, it says it increases and it abounds like the river. It, gets, it expands. It expands through our life into the lives of others. There it is. Drink, drink and drink and drink of the well that never ceases within you. And your life will take on a new meaning. I've gone over time. And so now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, his blessing now come upon you, embrace you, and bring you to see the life that is yours in Jesus Christ. That's the way it is. I shall be back next week. Malcolm Smith's ministry is dedicated to guiding believers into the reality of experiencing daily fellowship with the Father. This has been another message by Malcolm Smith. For more information and more teachings by Malcolm Smith, including a full catalog, please visit www.malcolmsmith.org.